study night, but we are having our revival services. And today has been a day of mixed emotions for me. One, I am extremely excited about the services tonight because of what God has been doing in my heart and in others' hearts. And, and I'm excited about that. In fact, I told uh, Dan and Celeste and and, and Brother Richard, as I was preparing the slides today and I was reading the words to the songs and, and his putting in the scripture that he's going to be preaching, I started getting emotional um, just doing that. And I said, if I'm getting emotional doing this, what in the world's going to happen at church? And uh, so I'm excited, but I'm sad at the same time. I'm sad that tonight is our scheduled last night of revival services. But as I said last night at the end of the service, revival doesn't stop because the preacher goes home. That's when the revival begins because we start putting to practice what, we, what God has been doing in our hearts and in our lives during these services. And then we, in turn, go out and share it with others. So I'm excited that you're here tonight, but I want to do something different because it is our... Uh, our, our last night of revival services, and it is our normal prayer meeting night. If you are able, and if God's been moving in your heart, please, 
as we pray, come up and just gather around this altar. Pray for tonight's services. Pray for our church. Pray for Brother Richard as he goes home tomorrow morning um, that he will have a safe trip. So um, I'm going to ask you that if you are able and you would be willing to do so, to come on up now before I start to pray and just let's gather around the altar. And while you're coming, let me make this announcement. Um, Ann Stedham came home to yesterday. So she is at home. She is still using a walker, but she is at home and she's doing good. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we gather around your altar right here in our church. Dear Lord, this is not the same type of our altar that Brother Richard preached about on Sunday. About the altar that Elijah built and laid his offering to you, the sacrifice on that altar. But dear Lord, it is the same in the fact that we come before you knelt here at this altar and we offer ourselves up to you. Dear Lord, we want you to do business with us tonight. We want you to move in our hearts. We want you to move in our church. We want you to move in our community. We want you to move in our nation. But dear Lord, we know it starts with each individual. So tonight, dear Lord, I want you to, uh, to just allow us to draw a bubble around ourselves tonight. That we literally cannot see anyone else here. And inside that bubble, dear Lord, it's just you and us. And we come face to face with you. And we do business with you. As we hear your words being sung and your praises being sung and your word being proclaimed. Dear Lord, we thank you for the fact that Anne was able to come home. We have several others that are injured, that, that are, are, are hurting. And dear Lord, you know exactly what needs to be done. But regardless of the outcome of all of that. We will still give you glory and honor. Dear Lord, today. Nell Buff was laid to rest. Almost 102 years old. And dear Lord, when she was able, she sang in this choir here at this church. And dear Lord, she loved you. But everybody that knows Miss Nell knows that when you would see her and you ask how she was doing, you would get the same response. Oh, I'm not doing good. But dear Lord, right now, if we could ask Nell, how are you doing? She would not have that same response. She would be shouting 
And she would be saying, I'm doing great. I'm doing incredible because I am with my Savior. Dear Lord, we praise You for that. And as we begin our worship time together, dear Lord, we ask that You move among Your people. That You empower our choir. Empower Brother Richard as he brings a message today. That we would come face to face with God. And we ask all of this in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our living Savior. And we give you all the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you turn your hymnals and stand as we sing 426, Victory in Jesus. We'll sing the first and the third verses. Oh, it's 
country preacher said, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. <laughs> Amen? I'll tell you what, that got three quarters of the choir grinning. I believe if you'd sang it two more times, we'd have had every one of them. <laughs> All right. Open your Bibles tonight to the last book of the Bible, the Revelation. The Revelation. You all like Bible trivia? Okay, I'm going to give you some anyway. When you refer to the final book in the Bible, look at it how it's spelled. It is called the Revelation, not the Revelations, because there was only one. Remember that. The Revelation that was given to John there on the aisle of Patmos. I'm going to approach this text a little bit differently tonight from the standpoint we're not going to read all of the text at the beginning. And that's simply because as we go through the study of this passage, we are going to be reading the passage throughout the context of the sermon. So I want to begin by us pausing together and asking the Lord just to take over tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for a beautiful, beautiful day, a time of reflection upon your word, a time of just hearing your voice, a time of being blessed, a time of having the opportunity to bless others. And I pray now tonight, God, that you would please allow me to preach, not for my name, but only for yours. May the name of Jesus be the only one that we remember. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Heaven is not a cosmic fable. Heaven is not a term that was coined by astronomers. Neither is heaven just the sentiment of a Hallmark movie? But heaven is a real, literal place. It's a place where God lives. It's also a place where many of our loved ones and friends who have trusted Christ are already there. They're with God in His presence. Some of you in this room have loved ones there. I have loved ones there. I have a lot of friends there. But heaven is a very real place. Now, I want you to look at John's first impression. I find it most interesting how that God gave the revelation to the apostle. The apostle had been exiled. He had been placed on this island called Patmos. And he was there all by himself, meaning that there were no other human beings there, but he wasn't by himself. God had him right where he wanted him to do a work in his life that he had never experienced before. Remember that as a side point to this message tonight. Sometimes God has to do things to get our attention 
and place us in circumstances that may appear to us to be bad, to be negative, and to be very, very difficult. But sometimes God allows these things in our life to get us exactly in the position that He would have us to be in so that we might hear Him better. So here is John. And while there, the Lord begins to speak into his life and begins to give him a vision of many things throughout the entire book of Revelation. Here is his first impression. Look at verses 9 and 10. And while we read this, I want you to be thinking about the mystery of this heavenly city. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Notice now, how the city is closely aligned with the bride. Very closely aligned with the bride. The bride, if you don't know that, is the church of Jesus Christ. Not the Baptist church, not the Pentecostal church, uh, not any other denominations included in this, but all those from all around the world who have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior comprise the bride of Christ. Many are already there. Many of us are still here. Now, just as the city of Babylon was set forth in a dual way as a woman and a city, so is the holy Jerusalem. Now, there is nothing impossible and should be nothing confusing to you and I about a giant, literal city hovering in the sky over the earth, located immediately over the earthly city of Jerusalem. There shouldn't be anything mysterious about that whatsoever. Now I want you to see in verses beginning in 11, the majesty of this city. Verse 11 says, Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious, a page stuck together there for a minute, like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now I want you to note this city. This city will glow in its own light. Never take for granted where you live. I told you I was raised in the country. 
I don't live in the country anymore. I live in the city. And one thing I miss is being able to see the stars. I try. My wife and I usually, when we're on our regular normal schedule, we usually wake up early every morning before the sun comes up. And on occasions, on a very, very clear morning, we'll be able to pick out the dipper and we'll be able to pick out some satellites. And somebody's even told me one of the things that we're seeing up there is probably the space station because it's very bright, so I am told. But you can see things like that. I'm envious of you because you can see that every night and every early morning if you want to look at it. You don't get too busy and run past it, you know. You can get out there and you can notice what God has placed in its beautiful, uh, His beautiful universe. But this city is going to glow from its own light to the point that men could see it flashing in the sky like a diamond. It is a strong city. The foundation with the apostles' names on it indicate that that city is rooted and grounded in truth. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see. Look at verse 15. I want you to see John's further impressions of this city. Some of the dimensions of the city begin being revealed in verse 15. It says, And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as, uh, is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are all equal. So in other words, heaven is a perfect cube. And I got news for you. It's not the Rubik's Cube. It's not difficult to figure out. We are given a pretty clear description of heaven but I'm also of the firm conviction that God did not give us all of the description of heaven because we'd be wanting to get there as fast as we possibly can. Have <laughs> you ever think about that? So he give us enough to kind of whet our appetite a little bit and make it extremely appealing, but I don't think we know everything about the holy city. So it is a perfect cube, but look at a parallel here. It is a perfect cube just like the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple were. They were perfect cubes. Now when you take these measurements and you break them down into measurements that we know of today, the city is 1,500 miles square and 1,500 miles High. Now there are many in the world today when they read the Revelation, they are a little bit skeptical about the city and its size that is suspended in the sky. I don't know why they would be skeptical about that. Because the same God that has built heaven is the God who created the earth in six days. It is the same God who can orbit a moon around a planet and keep it there, or it's the same God who can orbit a family 
of planets around the sun and keep them there at all times. Now, science and all that is related to science was not my favorite subject in school. I'll just be honest with you. I'm more intrigued with it now than I was then. But when you think about the fact that those planets and the sun and all those things are still orbiting after many thousands of years and they haven't dropped or wavered or anything as far as we know. And God is holding all that in place. So why should heaven be a mystery? You ever think about that? Do you know that scientists tell us today that if we were just a couple of inches closer to the sun, inches, that if we were just a couple of inches closer to the sun, that we'd burn up. And if we were a couple inches away from the sun, we'd freeze to death. Inches. And then you tell me there's no God? <laughs> no, you don't tell me. Just some people try to think there's not. God's got all of this together. So the mystery of heaven should not be a mystery at all, especially to those of us who call ourselves the children of God. Now, look at verse 17. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, so pure that it is like clear glass. Now the wall, compared to the other dimensions of the city, is actually quite low. Note, however, that the city was measured by God, and the wall was measured by man. See the difference? The wall is made of jasper. A jasper stone is kind of like a diamond. It is very hard, and it is very brilliant. But then the city itself is made of gold, pure gold, which symbolizes deity. The gold is so pure that it looks like you're looking into a glass reflecting the glory of God all the more. One day, I don't remember which day it was, one afternoon while here in Shelby, I was in the hotel room and I found some reruns of gun smoke. So I needed my theology enlightened a little bit, so that's what I was watching. So as I was watching Gunsmoke, this particular episode was about the marshal, Matt Dillon. He had gone out and had the job of finding a young woman whose only parent left living had died. He found the woman. She was uneducated. She was not well kept. She was living alone out in the woods and was getting by on whatever she could get by on. She had learned to hunt and find food. She had learned to eat a lot of weird things out there in the field and the grass and the woods. And so they took her to town and tried to clean her up and put her on the right path and all those things. When they got her to town, Miss Kitty dressed her up in a dress and brought a mirror over to her as they said in the show, looking glass, to let her see herself in the looking glass. And here's what she said. I'll never forget it. 
She said, have you never seen yourself before? She said, no, only when I look in a creek sometimes and it's real clear, but I can't see myself real good even then. And of course it went on and she stared and she looked. Knowing that this message might come forth in the revival sometime this week, I thought about the city of heaven. That the gold is so pure that it is like glass. That kind of gold is going to make Donald Trump's gold look like rubbish. As pure as glass. Now you may have, I, I, I've got a pretty sanctified imagination. But I can't get there. I, I've tried before to get there in my imagination. Gold, that it is so pure that it looks like glass. Now look at verses 19 and 20 at these foundations. The overall impression is one of great wealth and great magnificence beyond anything that we have ever known or seen on this earth. It's absolutely phenomenal. Have any of you had any opportunity over the last several days to see any of the footage on the Queen's passing and the funeral? Have any of y'all seen any of it at all? The architecture and the magnificence and the wealth is just amazing. It's overwhelming. And I thought as I saw some of that, you know, this is just nothing compared to what heaven is going to be like. Verse 19 says, The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth is sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. And now look, if you will, at verse 21, he starts talking about the gates. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each individual gate was one I'm pausing because did you hear that? One pearl. Boy, I would have loved to have seen that oyster. <laughs> one pearl. Each gate is one pearl. Now, all of these foundations are made of precious metals and gemstones except for the pearl. The pearl is the only one that is formed by living flesh. You see, the pearl is the answer of the oyster to that which injured it. You see where this is headed? The glory land called heaven is God's answer in Christ to the wicked world which put our living Lord Jesus to shame 
by desecrating and humiliating his body and eventually putting him to death. When saints pass through the gates of pearl, they will ever be reminded that the access to God's home, which is also our heavenly home, is only possible because of the event that took place at Calvary. Jesus had to die. Jesus had to be beaten. Jesus had to be scourged in order for us to have any entrance into the heavenly city. I'd love it if somebody said, thank you, Jesus, right there. Look at verse 22. According to verse 22, there's going to be no sanctuary there. Sometimes we call this the sanctuary. Sanctuary meaning that's where God is. We, had had, we already had experienced the tabernacle. We had already experienced the temple. Later on came church building to replace those kinds of things. But in heaven, there'll be no temple. You want to know why? There won't be a need for one because God is there. No need. No need for a temple. He is already there. And so he has taken the place at his home, meaning that we no longer need that temple as something to remind us of his presence. Verse 22, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There are no substitutes in heaven. There is no need for light in heaven because according to verse 23, Jesus is the light. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is the light. Last October, I had cataract surgery on both eyes. Anybody been there? Any of you old folk been there? Mm -hmm. Cataract surgery on both eyes, yeah. Let me tell you what's true. That's the best thing that's ever happened to me. But when I came out after the surgery, they do it differently now. You don't have to wear those big patches and all that stuff anymore. But I had those, uh, you know, those... Marvelous, fashionable sunglasses they give you. Y'all have seen those, haven't you? You know, wrap around your entire head. You put those things on, you come out. And boy, it's a good thing I had them. Because even now, a year later, there is no possible way I can get out in bright light without sunglasses. I hope everybody thinks I'm just trying to look cool. I think, I hope that's what's happening. But I can't do it. I just can't go out there with because when the cataracts were removed, the light was so incredibly bright, I just can't stand to be out there anymore without that. I have to have that. But if I had to have that after a fleshly cataract surgery, do you understand now one of the reasons why when we get to heaven, we're going to have to have a new body? Because first of all, our physical eyes wouldn't be able to handle what is there. The light and the glory of God we wouldn't be able to handle that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Also, there are no secrets there in heaven. Look at verse 24. And the nations of those who are saved 
shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Artie and I were talking there, maybe it was last night, I don't remember, we were talking about families and families who have been blessed to have a lot of kids and all that, and I know they've got six. I told him about a friend of mine who's in ministry. He and his wife have 11, none of which are adopted. And it's just, you know, some, some people are blessed that way. They just have a, a passel of kids. I've got my best friend that I went to college with, and we're still close friends after 50 years. We stay in touch all the time, talk probably two or three times a week. Great friends. He lives and ministers in Kentucky. And so he and his wife could never have children. They adopted one girl. That girl grew up, and when she grew up, she found out after she got married that her and her husband couldn't have any children either. So they got really involved in the adoption process. Well, you know what? I think we ought to adopt. So they got ready to adopt. I'm going fast because I don't want to drag you out with this story, but I've got a point to make with this story. So they said, well, we want to adopt. And they said, well, we'd like to get a little boy, and we'd like to get a little boy from Ethiopia. So they made all the arrangements. They went to Ethiopia to get the little boy. They went over to Ethiopia. They got him while they got over there. They said, hey, he's got a brother. You want him too? So they brought home two boys from Ethiopia. Got home, and, and uh, his, his little girl, uh, my friend's little girl, she's not little, she's a grown woman now, but still a little girl to me, but uh, his friend's little girl, let me tell you what, she's as white as Artie's beard. She's just as clear, and she's got two Ethiopian sons. That's the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life. It's awesome. And so then, after a little while, they said, well, these boys need a sister. So they got ready to get a sister, so they went to China to get a sister, and they went over to China to get a sister. She had a sister, too, and so they brought back two China girls, little Chinese girls. They're all growing up now. And so they got home. They got two Ethiopian boys. They got two Chinese girls. And when they got back home a couple of years after that, guess what? Mama got pregnant. And now, about eight months ago, she just delivered her third. So now they've got seven. Ethiopia, Chinese, and Kentucky. <clears throat> and my friend, my best friend, who's the grandpa of all of them now, said, you crazy, man. I said, we all grew up together, and you had one kid less than any of us, and you got more grandkids than all of us. I mean, good grief, you got seven. You got seven grandkids. And every time you say anything to him about the pictures and grandkids all have, his comment is this. Watch this. This is what he always says. He said, well, he said, that's what heaven's going to look like. Don't you love it? He's right, because they're going to come from all nations, all tribes, all tongues, everywhere. They're all going to come into heaven, and this is what he's talking about when he talks about the nations. Oh, watch this one. Don't pack up right here. This gets better. Verse 27, guess what? There will be no sinners there. Hmm. Well, wait a minute, preacher. I don't know if I agree with that theology, not because we're all sinners saved by grace. Yes, hang on. But when the blood of Jesus came into your life, yes, we still live here right now. We do. And yes, we're still in this fleshly body, which sins. Yes, that is correct. But when Jesus Christ's blood came and cleansed up our sins, he provided the forgiveness of all of our sins, and at the moment that we receive the heavenly body, we instantly become sinless at that point. 
You know why? Because no sin is allowed in heaven. I don't know that there's a sign there or not, but if there was one, there may be a big sign over the door of heaven that said, no sin allowed here. You know why? Watch. Because God is holy. God is pure. God is sinless. Do you remember when his own son was dying on the cross at that very instant and at that very moment that Jesus Christ took all the sins of the entire world upon his body? The word of God says that the heavenly father turned his back on his own son. Why? Because he was upset with his son? No, he was very proud of his son because he can't not look at sin. even when it was on the back of his own son. Can't look at sin. So there'll be no sinners there. Only those who are saved will enter for the sole purpose. Are you listening? For the sole purpose of praising God. Now through the years, and I don't have a problem with this, through the years, we believers have had all those kind of little funnies that we share with each other. Well, I, I hope there's some fried chicken in heaven, and I, I hope there's this in heaven, and I hope there's that in heaven. And, you know, we've had a little fun with that and some cute things going on with that. But what we need to understand is, Artie, are you listening? Don't take this the wrong way. There will be no preaching in heaven. Preachers will be out of a job. The only church people nowadays who will still have a job when they get to heaven, I'm kind of mad at you about this, are the music people. I'm just kidding. You know I'm kidding. No, because we'll all be music people when we some of you have said all your life, you have said all your life, some of you in this room have said your entire life, well, I'd love to be able to, but I just can't sing. I just can't sing. i got some great news for you. You're going to be able to one day. Oh. I don't think some of you heard me. You're going to be able to one day, and when you're able to, when you get to heaven, you're not going to play, the men are not going to play that macho game sit back there, you know, ah, let them women do the singing. I like, now, whether you want to or not, you're going to be singing. Just get used to it, guys. It's going to happen. All you ladies who love to sing, you're going to be in hog heaven. I mean, no, not hog heaven. You're going to be in the real heaven. But I mean, <laughs> you're going to sing and sing and sing and sing because our main purpose when we get to heaven, is going to be singing praises to the Lamb of God forever and ever and ever and ever. While I'm on that, we all allowed me to sidetrack just a little bit. Thank you. I thought you would. Watch this. All my ministry, I've heard this. Now, y'all just hang on. Y'all get mad at it if you want to because I'm leaving in the morning to go home. Listen, listen, listen to this. All my life in churches I've heard. Well, can't you turn that thing down? Why does it have to be so loud in church? I don't, that sound system is just too loud. 
Go home tonight and read the rest of the book of Revelation and find out, do a word study and find out how many times you see the word loud in the Revelation. It's going to be loud in heaven, folks. We had an old guy at Alcoa where Artie and I went. Fred, well, I don't know what Fred's last name was. It was San, uh, Fred. But every Sunday almost, it'd be Sunday morning, he'd come in and the choir people and the music people up there getting sound checks and all that kind of thing. Preacher, don't you think that's a little loud? I heard it every Sunday. I got so tired of it. Finally, one Sunday I went in, Fred said, Preacher, don't you think it's a little loud in here? And I'd finally had all I could take. I looked up and said, Fred, no, I don't think so. I kind of like it. I wish you'd turn it up a little bit. <laughs> he kind of backed up a little bit. He said, wow, we just don't need all that. I said, Fred, have you ever read the book of Revelation? I, he said, yeah. I said, have you ever seen how many times the word loud is used in there? And he said, well, no, I hadn't paid any attention. I said, you need to start paying attention when you read the Bible. Well, 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 it might be loud, but it, it's not going to have any amplification up there. I said, no, they won't need it. It's going to be a whole lot louder than that. That's what we're going to be doing. Singing praises to the Lamb of God. Well, when they get loud, it hurts my ears. Bless the name of God. You're going to have a new pair. And you'll be able to handle it. So you might as well start practicing now and getting used to it. Can I get a witness? Amen. It's going to be loud when we get up there. It's going to be wonderful when we get up there. Singing praises to the Lamb of God. Well, I'm through meddling now. I've got to get back to the message. Look at verse 27. But there shall be by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You're hearing a lot of theology running rampant around America today that says, there are many ways to heaven. No, there's not. There are many paths to get to heaven. No, there's not. There's one. Well, hi, you're awful arrogant about that, preacher. I didn't say it. I'm just delivering a meal. God's the one that said that. At the very end, before Jesus went back to be in heaven, John chapter 14, he was talking to the disciples. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Thomas said, wait a minute, time out, Jesus. We don't know where you're going. We don't have a GPS or anything. We don't know where we're going. So if we don't know where you're going, how are we going to get there? Jesus didn't bounce around too much. He didn't go into a theological commentary. He said, Thomas, I am the way. Notice he didn't say a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. All right, preacher, I've got a question for you, a hard question. So are you telling me, do you really believe then, Pastor, that uh, people in the world that are super religious, but they don't believe in Jesus, do you really believe they are going to hell? Unfortunately, yes. Because that's what the Bible says. Yes. If they're trying to get there on their own good merits, they're not going to make it. If they're trying to get their own church attendance, they're not going to make it. 
All those things are wonderful, and I believe in, I believe in church attendance. Obviously, I'm a pastor. I believe in church attendance. I believe in all those wonderful things. But it's not going to get you there. Only when you understand that there's no way that you can make it on your own, and you repent and lay yourself bare before Christ and say, would you please forgive me? Would you please save me and come into my life? Only then will you make it into the city. Very quickly tonight, look at John's final impression. Verse 20, or chapter 22, verse 1, And he showed me a pure river, the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In other words, the Lord Jesus likened the Holy Spirit to a river. In John 7, verse 38, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, he's no doubt here making this a symbol. The river is being used in Scripture to symbolize both pleasure and prosperity. Because you see, life in God's city is characterized by purity, pleasure, and prosperity. But now look at the loyalty of the city in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 22. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Wow, what a harvest season. <laughs> every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. You see, the tree of life was a test of loyalty in the Garden of Eden. You remember that? That was a test of loyalty. This tree now flourishes in glory for the saints to enjoy, reminding us that only as we submit to the authority of, joy, of, of the Lord can we enjoy anything. That's the only way we can do that. And then look at this real quickly. Verse 4. The Lord of the city. They shall see His face. Think about this. They shall see His face for His name shall be on their forehead. I don't have any tattoos on my body. Don't plan on getting any. But when I get to heaven, there's going to be one right here. And it's going to say, that's what it just said. Did, did I read it wrong? Isn't that what it just said? It says, Jesus. He's going to know that we belong to Him. We are His. But here is the climax of the entire thing. Are you ready? They shall see His face. <laughs> they shall see His face. Maybe you're like, I don't know if anyone else's building's ever done this before. Have you ever sat around and wondered what he looks like? I have. Some people think he's going to look like that picture that everybody's painted through the years. 
for the long hair and the, the beard and, you know, and the robe and the sandals? You think he's going to look like that? I, I don't know. He may have a flat top like they used to wear in the 50s. I, I doubt it, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe blessed like some of you gentlemen in here now that have the slick look going on. I don't know. I have no idea. But here's what I do know. When we look into those eyes for the first time, we will have never prior to that seen love like that ever. I don't mind telling you, I'm a blessed man. I've been married to my beautiful bride for 47 years. And when I was getting my clothes on this afternoon to come here, I'll be honest with you, I started getting homesick to see my baby. When I get in that car in the morning, Lord willing, and I start heading back toward Atlanta, I'm going to be seeing that beautiful face driving down the road. And when I walk in that house, I'm going to get the sweetest hug I've ever had on this planet and a sloppy old kiss as I look right in that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful face that I've got to look at for all these years. You know why? Because I know she loves me. And I know I love her. But even as good as that's going to be, it's not going to be anything like it is when we look in the face. You remember that word I taught you the other night, that spiritual word you can use in church now? Wow. Wow. The love that was willing to have his body literally shredded and then died so that we could go live with him forever and ever and ever. Verse 5, the last thing I want you to see here. There's not going to be any light there. They don't need a lamp or light or sun because the Lord God is the only light we'll need. You remember when Paul was blinded on the Damascus Road? You all remember that? God made him blind for three days, and the light got brighter with the, the light was brighter than any noonday sun. That same light from the face of Jesus is what's going to be permeating the corridors of heaven all up and down. Not going to be any energy shortage there. None whatsoever. But the child of God has unspeakable joy and full of glory, just waiting on what awaits us on the other shore. Here's the invitation tonight. Quite simple, but I want you to listen carefully. Right now, as you sit in this building, I don't care if you're 12, 13, 14, or 15, I don't care if you're 85, 90, 95, 96. I don't care if you've never been to church much in your life. Or if you've been like me, you've been in church all your life. 
from even before you were born. Right now, sitting in this room. Do you know that you know that you know if you died right now, you'd wake up in the presence of a holy God? If you don't know that, regardless of age, you need to make sure. And you need to do it tonight. If you're doubting, if you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you're doubting, well, I... And you're doubting, and, and the only way you know how to calm those doubts down is keep going to church more and keep getting involved in things at the church more and keep doing this more. And those are all wonderful things. But maybe you just need to come to God. Well, preacher, what if I'm not sure? Then if you're not sure, there's a doubt there. Because in 1 John 5, the Word of God says, I write these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to keep trying to do things in order to assure your entrance into heaven. You just got to surrender and give your heart to Christ. My kids like yours when they were growing up, when they got in a little bit of trouble or got a little bit sad or, or something didn't go quite their way, they'd come running through the house and they'd look up at me and they'd say, Daddy, and you know what they did, right? Pick those hands up just like that. You know what they were doing? They were surrendering. Daddy, I can't do this anymore. Daddy, I need you. Some of you tonight just need to come to the Lord God Almighty. Stick your hands up to him and say, Holy Father, I can't do it anymore. Please, save me. Some of you here tonight are already saved, but if truth were known, listen carefully, if truth were known, you're already saved. There's no doubt in your mind about it. You've given your heart to Jesus. But right now, tonight, you also know that you're walking at a guilty distance away from God. And if the Lord Jesus came back tonight, you wouldn't be ready to meet him in the sense that you would be a little bit embarrassed because you're not where you need to be in your walk with him. Can I just say to you tonight, come home, come home to the Heavenly Father. He's not going to beat you up. He's going to put his arms around you and say, welcome home. But he's waiting on you to make that first move. And I'm going to ask you to do that. Stand with me all over the building, would you? Everyone standing, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Lord Jesus, I don't know what you need to do with each of us in this room tonight. I have no idea. But I do know that all of us in here want to be assured of our heavenly home that awaits us. And Lord, I pray tonight for anyone in this room who is not prepared to meet you right now, that they would make the necessary preparations. And Lord, in a minute I'm going to say amen, in a minute we're going to sing, and I pray in Jesus' name and for your glory that you would allow that person or persons to make that first step, which is the most difficult, and step towards you, and I know you're going to bring them the rest of the way. But we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You come right now while we begin to sing. Come. What a day that will be. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the 
Jesus I shall see When I look upon his face The one who saved me by his grace When he takes me by the hand And leads me through the promised land What a day, glorious day that will be You've read, uh, you can be seated for just a second. I don't want you to stand the whole time. I know some of you are tired. That's not going to take just a second. But uh, many of you have read in the scripture the parable of the sower. Well, all I've done this week is scatter some seed. That's been my role. Come here and just scatter some seed. That's all. And I agree with you, Pastor, a thousand percent. This is not the end of anything. I think it's just the beginning of things. You know, we had a lot of fun this afternoon. Laughed a little bit when he came in. Do you see all them cars in front? 
Man, everybody wanted to make sure I saw them all the time. You know what? Folks, thank you for doing that. Yeah, it is a little thing. And yeah, it is kind of a surface thing. But you know what? There may just be a lost person who drives down this road some Sunday morning, some Wednesday night, sees all those cars out there and turns in here just to see what's going on. It may seem little to you, but it might be a big thing and a start to something even bigger. And I believe it really will. I look forward to hearing great reports from Artie, but I personally just want to say thank you. I've been one of those guys. I've been very blessed through my life. I've, I've been able to preach in a lot of places, even around the world. And, and uh, it's so refreshing to come and preach to people that will actually smile at you and actually take a moment to come around and speak to you and be nice and be friendly. And, uh, and I just want to tell you how much that means to me. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for the wonderful accommodations. I've actually been able to rest a little bit this week. That's a rare thing. And I've, I've really enjoyed that and your love and your generosity. Just thank you so, so, so much. I will be forever indebted to you. And if I never see you again on this side, I'll see you when we get home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, Lord. What a week. Lord, just thank you for giving us a place that we can come and worship you, Lord. Lord, I just want to be reminded, Lord, uh, each and every day about what was preached this week, Lord. And most of all, Lord, about the fire. Lord, I pray that first you would burn anything that is unholy in our life, Lord. Burn it out of us, Lord. Take it away. Let your word cut us deep to the marrow like your word says, Lord. Just let it come away, Lord. Lord, I just I just pray for that. Let us keep this fire when we leave here this week. That tomorrow morning when we get up, Lord, we still have that same fire burning with us within us, Lord. 
just thank you. Just thank you for all that you're doing. Thank, thank you for all that you do for Crestview, Lord, and the church, the whole church, Lord. Let us be reminded we don't need fancy stuff. We don't need any of that, Lord. We just require your word. That's all we need. Lord, I just thank you for this night. I pray for safe travels for Pastor Lord as he is going home. And just uh, keep him safe, Lord. And for us tonight as we travel, Lord, I just pray that you keep us safe, Lord. And again, whenever you're ready to take us home, that's totally in your control, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.